This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Name Ever podcast. Two games to talk about this week and lots of other stuff to get through as well. Two games at Turf Moor with the unbeaten run stretched to four games and um, some lots and lots and lots of other stuff to get through as well. So we better get cracking. Guests tonight are James, Kevin and Michael. And we're going to start by going back to Saturday's game against Aston Villa. A one all at Turf Moor. Burnley relying on a late penalty from Danny Ings to get a draw from that one. Um, James, it's difficult to, to know what to think of this one because we were behind for, for so much of the game, but at the end, we, we really could have won it. Oh, I thought the last 15 were sort of sensational. Danny Ings, in particular, was, um, you know, looked almost unstoppable uh, so for that last 15 minutes. I think there was one move where he, he played a bit of a 1 2 with, uh, I can't remember who, to be honest, but he then broke into the box and we really were lucky not to get, get a goal at that on that chance as well um, I wouldn't say we're particularly bad for the rest of the game but it was just a bit dull really I guess um, and neither team looked great I, th- I think their goal was a little bit soft maybe and um, you know, in the end I think a draw was probably fair but if we played like we did for the last 15 minutes all game um, you know you could have been talking about you know, really impressive scoreline for us we really, we seemed to struggle to get going on Saturday. I'm not really sure what it was, but you're right when you say at the end of the game we were really impressive, and you think maybe if if we'd have got that goal a couple of minutes earlier, we'd have gone on to win it. There's two fantastic chances at the end for for Ings and Jukovic that really should have been put away. Yeah, I mean, I think that was without doubt maybe the best period we've seen from Danny Ings yet. And I think that's what we sort of all expected coming into this season after. You know the promise he showed last season in the championship, um, but if we could start again that way, um, which I think I guess we kind of did against Stoke, um, where it was maybe the other way round, and we we're kind of spending the rest of the game sort of trying to maintain our lead, whereas this time we were pushing to try and gain it. So um, if we could do that maybe for the middle period of the game, and you know maybe score three or four rather than just one or two, um, we could probably beat quite a few sides. There's- Maybe the substitutions had a, a positive effect as well. I think in the Villa game, it was Jukovic came on with 20 minutes to go and seemed to cause problems. Of course, he won the penalty from a Corey's clumsy tackle. And Ross Wallace, I thought, had a had a really good um, input on Saturday in the Villa game. He seemed to make a difference down the wing. And it's it's going to be important for the whole season, isn't it, that we can have these options from the bench and for them to make a positive impact. Yeah, I think particularly Ross Wallace has been a really strange one this season because I thought he was really good at Leicester, obviously when he came on there and, and, and grabbed the winner in the end. Sorry, the, the equaliser in the end. If only it was a win. Um, and, Felt like uh, a win. It did feel like a win, so it on. And I think actually that game we deserved to win anyway. But um, obviously against West Brom, he was absolutely awful. So um, it is really confusing to sort of understand what you're going to get from Ross Wallace at the moment. You know, he's clearly a guy who has got a bit of something in his locker, 
but it just doesn't seem like it particularly always turns up. Yeah, I think he's probably better from the bench for now. He's got that sort of impact that we saw at, at Ewood as well going back to March, the end of last season. He seems to have that. It just brought something else, I think. But I'm with you. I, I wouldn't start him, especially with West Brom still quite fresh in the memory. There's so much to get through on tonight's podcast. We've got to move on away from the Villa game. Um, but on Saturday, Kevin, you were at Turf Mall talking to the new Chief Operating Officer, David Baldwin, weren't you? What did he have to say? Um, yeah, um, it was a really, really good chat, actually. I think we were only supposed to talk for, for, for 20 minutes, so it ended up being almost an hour. Um, he had a lot to talk about. It was it was quite a bit of a delay as well. We had, I think we had a bit of fiasco in the ticket office as well, which he had, he had to go and deal with, and he seems to have so much on, um, so much responsibility in lots of different areas. But, um, yeah, he it, 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 it explained a little bit about what his role um, and what, he's, what he's, he's looking to do going forward and what he's also done at Bradford. Um, I think he talked about a few things. I think Lee Hughes now is more involved with the football side, um, whereas Baldwin's more involved in the, the supporter side and the, the commercial side. So I think one of the big things he's doing at the moment is, is the club shop. Um, so there's only been a job about um, about two, three or four weeks now, but he seems to be already having quite a big impact. He's got lots of really big ideas for the shop. He's already, um, I think the, the shop just had a, a, a makeover last week, which he says was, was pretty much all he's doing. Um, he's got some, he's also made some changes to the online shop as well. Um, I know a lot of fans have a lot of problems with the, with the shop, so that's all encouraging. Um, it's got lots of good thoughts about uh, support liaison as well. So Bradford, he um, he when he was a CEO at Bradford, he he created a, a formal supporters trust, um, board, sorry, a supporters board, sorry. Um, whereas I think at the moment we've got a, Burnley's got a supporters committee or whatever where fans go along. It's very informal it doesn't seem to have much of a structure and it almost seems like a box ticking exercise whereas what he talked about the, the, the supporters board at Bradford it's a lot more formal it was elective you had a, a principles and um, lots of different charters and things like that um, it was a lot more open um, and representative um, he did say it take a few I think it took him five years to set it up at Bradford so that might take a while to kick in but lots of the ideas he had were, were really encouraging Um He's only been with the job for a few weeks, though, and he said uh, he'll he'll have a chat with Nuno Never in a bit more depth uh, at the start of February when he's been in the job for um, for three months. Then, so that'll be interesting to see what what he's got to say. I have to be settled in a bit more. It's it's obviously really early days for for David, but everyone seems to have a lot of positive things to say about him. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what else he brings to Burnley because Bradford fans in particular seemed quite upset to be losing him. So. We'll try and keep people as up to date as possible on, on what he's up to and hopefully we'll get him um, maybe on the podcast one day or certainly we'll get an interview with him on site and we'll be able to put his ideas across directly to everyone. Um, one other little bit of off-the-field news um, that's quite today, Wednesday, as we record the podcast, is the financial results. Um, the headline figure of a £7.6 million loss is maybe a little bit eyebrow-raising but the club has explained that it's made up entirely from promotion bonuses. So that's obviously a good thing. Um, apparently, $7.9 million was paid in exceptional promotion costs, which means we would have actually made a very small profit. Mike Garlick, earlier in the season, had promised that we were on track to break even, so he's kept that promise. And the promotion bonuses, I suppose, it sounds like a lot of money, but compared to the, the money that we've got for going up, it's it's... A drop in the ocean, really, isn't it, um, Michael? Is this an indication of how well run Burnley is these days? It's it's very positive news. Uh, put it that way, I'd much rather be be reporting a loss because we've gone up. Because at the end of the day, when you factor in all the Premier League money, <laughs> it's not going to be much of a loss next season. We'll probably post a profit next season, which um, like like we did when we had our last year in the Premier League. Um, it's I think it's. It's good news for Big John B and and Matt Garlic, and it's um, credit to how they're running the club, and it's a positive. When you look at other clubs up and down the country which are struggling, you only have to look down the road at um, Deadwood and see how um, messy it can get with the wrong owners in place. So I think I think we're quite fortunate that we've got local local lads running the club who actually do do love it as well. On the the co-chairman side as well, it's it's 
been quite a while now since Barry Kilby stepped down and there was a lot of talk about how it was going to work with having uh, Mike Garlick and John B as co-chairman but it seems to be working pretty well and you've got to say everyone who was asking how that was going to work well it, it is working in the in the statement that they put out today they said they're happy with the new financial results and they said without the one-off costs that 7.9 million in promotion bonuses they said we are very pleased to report that the club would have been in a break-even position keeping to our promise made during the year so yeah for once it seems like everything's pretty rosy off the field um, so moving back to, to football matters Tuesday night so Newcastle visit Turf Moor for the first time in over 30 years because they were in the championship last time we got promoted so we've just missed each other for a long long time um, another one all draw we took the lead this time but Newcastle cancelled it out early in the second half through Papis Cissé James what did you make of Tuesday night's game? Um, I thought it was a classic game of two halves really Um it was a classic game of two halves and we were sick as a parrot after we'd been over the moon. You know, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> first half, we were just... We were really the, by far the stronger team. Um, and I really thought that, you know, if, if we could have maybe got that David Jones chance sort of just before the whistle. I mean, if you go up at, at 2-0, uh, I think we'd, we'd have enough to hang on second half. Um and there was a few other chances as well. I think it could have been two or three at half time at least. And uh, I think that's really sort of been our problem, maybe. Where we have been good in games, we've been good in spells, and we've maybe not taken every chance that's come our way. And um, then you sort of pay for that later on. I mean, Newcastle came out clearly with a completely different mentality second half. And they were by far, you know, they were, looked a totally different team to they did um, in the first 45. Um, but it's still a little bit disappointing. I think the goal we conceded. Um, it all really sort of stems from that half clearance by Trippier. Um, if he gets that away, I don't think Newcastle score at all in the game, and we probably just sneak the one 0 win. Um, you know, our theory to get it away then just kept the pressure on us. And again, it was a ball into the box, and one that maybe you would have liked someone at the front post to get rid of. But I think ultimately it came down to how much pressure we've been put under there from from the poor clearance. It does seem like a soft goal. I think half clearance from Trippier is very, uh, very kindly putting it there, James. Yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to get on Trippier's back because I think that's probably the only mistake he's really made this season. But um, yeah, it's, I think it's the only mistake he's really made this season. Everyone at the end of the day is going to make at least one mistake over the course of the year, so um, don't want to get on his back too much. Newcastle did make a couple of changes at the break and that seemed to, to affect the, the way they came out after the break. Obviously, it was quite soon into the second half that Cissé did get that goal. Cabello came on and seemed to make a difference and they made a change at the back as well. Um, it just felt to me a bit in the second half like we were a little bit flat. I wonder if it was a missing bit of energy after the exertions at the end of the Villa game. I'm not sure what it was. I wasn't really impressed with where we played in the second half at all but for me it seemed like we were maybe a bit too happy with the one all. Um Kevin what are your thoughts on that? Um, I thought Newcastle came out like you say a completely different side in the second half and um, I'm not too, too sure about our, our foot I think in the second half we looked a lot like we did earlier in the season um, where we, we almost we almost struggled to cope we were we were struggling to keep hold of the ball. We we were being put under a lot of pressure by their players. Every time we got on the ball, um, they were they were they were pressing us really hard, and we 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 just struggled to keep hold of it. We were being forced into passes backwards, forced into heavy touches, forced into into bad passes, uh, and we we really n- never managed to to get a grip of that second half. Uh, I agree with James. Though. I think we we had a very good chance to have scored. I don't, I'm not sure about two or three, but I, I certainly think we, we could have scored another one in the first half. And if we had done that, um, potentially we, we could have gone out uh, gone out and won it. Because although Newcastle were... Um, in, in the second half, I think their, their defence and their, their midfield were quite good. I, I don't think they really offered much much up top. I can't really remember any other real chances they created um, other, other than the goal. Um, so I, I couldn't see them scoring two goals in my match. Uh, so it's a shame we, we we couldn't give that second one. Like I said, David Jones's uh, chance was was fantastic. It's just a shame that if he could uh, if he could score and and run a little bit faster, he'd be well, he'd be at a club much bigger than Burnley. Yeah, he's that's probably the two 
weak attributes of his game. It's a shame that it's a shame that chance fell to him if it had fallen to to five or six other different players. It might have might have gone in. That would have been a completely different game then. But one um, one um, is it's not the worst result in the world. We've we've extended our unbeaten run, um, which which is all going to be good. So not too many complaints. I think it. I think I think you've more or less rounded it up perfectly, Kev. I think you can't complain too much about the result. We weren't brilliant at all, but we were awful even to get that result against a team who have been in great form, um, despite getting beat by West West Ham at the weekend. Um, it's it's a good result at the end of the day. It's one point more that more on the board lifts us out of the relegation zone, which is a big mental thing, despite the fact that Hull have that game in hand. Um, and as it, looking back, it's it's I think. James got it right. The cross it sh- probably should have been blocked for their goal, but Cabea, when he came on, he's, he, he more or less run the show. It's such a great, great substitution from Pardew to bring bring him into the game at half time, um, and I think that's probably what turned it and got them back into it. Um, from Burnley's perspective, John should have scored, um, in my opinion. Um, he just lashed at it a little bit. If he adds that into his game um, and starts scoring one or two, um, he'll be. A brilliant player for us in in the middle of the season. Like last season, he was brilliant, but it it had a lot more if he was scoring scoring goals as well. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think that's one of the only things Jones has got missing from his game, and there's been three or four maybe this season now that he really should have have been testing goalkeepers with, and he's just not quite got right. But maybe he's a little bit too old to be expecting much more in terms of development from. Um, I thought it was a strange game, really. Considering both teams were in pretty good form coming into the match, I didn't think there was that much quality on Chof Myers' side. I know Pardew said the pitch was playing a bit a bit difficult. He said it was a bit slippy, and he said Newcastle struggled to, to come to terms with that. James, you were at the game, weren't you? I don't know if you have anything to, to add on the pitch. Uh, not really. I think I saw maybe Dean Morney slip a few times, but... Um... I don't. I, I can't imagine being a huge issue. I know they do water it quite a bit, but that's down to the fact that it just takes up so much water um, anyway, because of how well drained it now is compared to in the past when it used to sort of flood. Um, so I can't. It didn't really look like an issue for the ball. If it, I mean, if it's an issue for the players, and I think that's down to footwear choice. And obviously, when you're a professional and you've got, you know, numbers of boots available to you, that shouldn't really be something that causes you a problem ever. Some of the stats seem to, to point to a game where both teams struggled to just get going a little bit. Out of 23 shots in the game, there was only six on target. Uh, that's two for us and four for them. So the finishing maybe just wasn't quite right. It seemed like a really busy game. There were a lot of fouls breaking up the play. And I just felt like we never really looked like we were going to get another goal after after Newcastle equalised. The substitutions are my main bugbear and it's it's a, a minor issue I've had with Sean Dyche pretty much for his whole time at Burnley. I can't understand why he left it so late to make the change on Tuesday night. Jokovic only came on for the last 10 minutes and he didn't make the third change at all. The other change cost Stephen Ward had gone off injured. Kevin, can you have any sort of idea why why Dice seemed so reluctant. Wallace in particular, he seemed like an obvious choice after his impact on Saturday. Um, it's, it's quite funny that, that we were talking about substitutions because um, I put a thing on my site this week about looking back because it was Sean Dice's 100th game at Burnley against Newcastle. Um, I put a thing on my site looking back at what, what we'd said on my site over the, the first few months of his, his reign um, during that first half season when it was absolutely dire football it was really bad stuff at that time and a lot of people wanted wanted rid of him and obviously so much has changed pretty much we're almost an unrecognizable team from from those days apart from substitutions um there was one 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 quote i highlighted in, in the piece from jamie from during that during that spell um and you you, you could have read it today it was it was it, it, basically you said that he's got a plan b um which he makes the same plan B every game, and it's far too late. And that could, but you could have said that you could say that exactly the same about this season. Um, we always make the same substitutions; it's like for like, uh, and far too late in the game. Um, yeah, I definitely think uh, Wallace needed to come on. 
Um, uh, yeah, um, against against Newcastle. Um, I think what, one of the problems we had was we we were trying to build the ball into the box, play our play our game, but we were just struggling to do that because we we weren't allowed to time the ball. We didn't really have that composure which needed either. So I think Wallace can come on and deliver a cross um, and almost maybe create something from nowhere. nowhere. Um, you've got Arfield. His his strength is helping us build attack into the box. Uh, it wasn't working. Whereas if you can get Wallace on, stick Danny Ings in the middle. Wallace, if, if he pings over six crosses, Ings could get him on the end of one of them. Um, I think we'd have had a much greater chance of scoring um, with, with Wallace on in our field uh, in this particular match. Uh, I, I don't think Wallace is a starter player I'd like to start. Um, but the way the match was going in that second half, I think Wallace would have been better fit. Um, I think a few people said that maybe our field offers more defensively than Wallace which is why he didn't make the change. But um, so, someone else actually, sorry, some, somebody else said that the reason we didn't make a change was that the main problem was the passing in the middle of the field. We had no one else to bring in for that. Um, and that's another concern is that there are no options. The only option we've got is Chalabur and he's, um, he's presumably out injured. He's not on the bench, so I'm guessing he's injured. Um, so it's quite a concern that our only other option in that position is is unavailable. We've got one option, and once he's out, then that's it. We we can't make that change because there's just there's literally nobody there to 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 bring on. It is a tricky one. It's something I've thought about quite a, a quite a lot since Dash became the manager. Because as you say, it has been a bit of an issue long long term. Must point out that this is a quibble, really, compared with all the nice things we're going to say about Dash a, a bit later in the podcast, but. It just seemed to me like the game was there to be won. Newcastle played okay, but I felt like we we could have beat them if we'd had a really good goal. And we just seemed a little bit reluctant to to really take the game to them. And if if it comes down to one or two points at the end of the season, I just think Newcastle's going to be one of the games we look back at and think, could we have done a bit more to try and win that game? Michael, what are your thoughts on the subs? I'm very much like you in that I think he's never really use the full potential of his substitutions. He, he always seems to make them a bit too late for my liking. Um, and Kevin touched on Shalabar um, quickly and thinking he's injured. I think he's um, he's on his way back from the injury. He's had a couple of games for the development squad, I think. But um, in terms of substitutions for me, I mean, you've got the likes of... He's, he's brought in Sordell, and we know he's very hit and miss. He's not really proved himself yet, but... You've got to throw him on for that. <laughs> Use your third substitution. Give him that bit of game time. And it's the same with Kylie and Wallace. Just get them on there. And Arfield, Arfield wasn't looking as sharp as me on, on Tuesday night. Um, I'd have probably brought him off. Um, and then beyond that, if you're looking at the centre midfield pairing, your only real option is perhaps bringing off one of your wide men, um, uh, one of your centre midfielders for, for a wide man, and then moving either Boyd or Arfield into the middle. Um but for me, yeah, I, I, I'm the same as you in that. I'm not a, bit, not a huge fan of his substitutions, but at the end of the day, he's getting results at the minute. So it's a minor quibble. Um, not something I'm going to get too beat up about. But yeah, I, I like to see him use him a bit more effectively. I suppose, as Kevin says, it's, it's partly just down to a lack of options as much as anything else. But I do think maybe we could get a little bit more out of the 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 extra players we do have in the squad um, so the vote is also open now for the November player of the month award hopefully this should be a little bit more competitive than the, the previous two prizes which let's be honest without a win have been a little bit difficult to give out but with some good results there should be more more to mull over for this one Burnley kicked off the month with a defeat at Arsenal and expected defeat to be honest but after that it's been plain sailing all the way really with 8 points from Four games, although the, the Newcastle game, of course, did cross over into December. But victories over Stoke and Hull got Burnley up and running and on their way. Um, Kevin, we'll start with you then. Who's your pick for Player of the Month? Um, I'm going with Mr Danny Ings. I think he's been a major... He's transformed his personal form. And I think he's been a major contribution to our our improved form as a team. He's, he's, he's almost the, the focal point of a team where we're going forward. And I think the fact that he's playing much better now is, is not a coincidence that the team has started to pick up at the same time he has. So um, he's my pick. 
Uh, just to recap, by the way, October's award went to George Boyd and Scarfield was second with Kieran Trippier. In third, James, who's your pick? I suspect Danny Ings is going to win this one quite comfortably. Yeah, yeah, I've already voted on the website and I had to go for Danny Ings as well. I mean, um, you know, he's starting to pick up goals now and and that's what everyone wants from, from Danny Ings. So, um, you know, as long as he keeps putting uh, the ball in the back of the net, you can't really complain with his contribution. And uh, since he started doing that, I think he's you know a worthy winner of a, a player of the month award. Three goals in four games for for Ings over the course of November, but on top of that, I think his general play seems to be getting better every week. And if he keeps getting better, then we've got a fantastic chance of staying up because we are quite heavily reliant on Ings. Um, Michael, can you make a case for anyone else, or is it Ings as award? I'm going to make it a full house, mate. Um... Stanny Ings for me again. He's back to the, the player we we know and love. Um, he's been his, his general workload, work rate's been brilliant. He's pulled other players into the game, and his bank started banking him in again. So I can't look anywhere else this month, I'm afraid. I agree with the three of you. I think Ings is going to win, but I, I'd just like to mention Jason Shackler. I think's been really outstanding for the last few games. I think he's hitting the the form that he showed last season and especially in the last two games as well when he's been playing with Michael Keane it's a little bit different when you've got to lead the young player through the match rather than having a, a reliable experienced partner alongside you so I think Shackle should be up there as well um, if you do want to vote the poll is open on the site and will be open for a few more days but there are a couple of other ways you can vote as always you can vote on Twitter you need to use the hashtag Clarets POTM and um, obviously say who you're voting for and if you give a reason we'll put the best ones on the site when we announce the winner and you can also vote by text message look at us in the future text messages what you need to do if you want to vote by text is to text the squad number of your nomination to 07520615224 that's 07520615224 so for example if you wanted to vote for Scott Arfield your message needs to be his number which is 37 and we will announce the winner of the November Player of the Month award on the site and on the podcast at a later date I said it was a busy show this week and it certainly is we've still got a lot to get through but next on the agenda is the continued rehabilitation of Sam Volks scored another two goals for the development squad this week as he inches towards his comeback from that ACL injury and it's going to be such a boost when we can get Sam Volks back to full fitness but I suppose we don't want to rush it Um, James how much of a difference do you think it's going to make when Sam Volks is back I'm not sure really it's really hard to say because um Everyone seems to be pinning quite a lot of hope on Sam Volks coming back and the effect that's going to have on the team. Um, <clears throat> well, I think obviously he's a key part of our season. I think part of it is down to maybe um, stability sort of up front. Once he got goals at the beginning of last year, he sort of started to score more and more. And we'd seen him involved a lot the year before, but only in like five and ten minutes here and there. Um so I think really it's hard to say because it's been so difficult for people like um, you know Djokovic and Barnes to get goals in the Premier League because it is a much tougher league to score in. Um, that it's hard to say whether he's not going to have a similar issue. I suppose that's that's the balance, isn't it? It's being excited about having a player that did so well last season available again, but also being aware that he's stepping up to the Premier League as well and he's got to come back from this injury that's kept him out for almost a year it's it's going to be tough um, Kevin, I suppose the thing with also is that fitted into the team so well last season he's a fantastic partner for Ings it's, it's only natural that people are looking forward to seeing that again um, Definitely, uh, probably more so in the fact that Danny Ings um, until recently has struggled well uh, until recently, all our strikers have struggled for, for any form at all. Um, until the last few games, whatever striker combination we've put up there, it's it's been faltering. Um, Danny Ings has picked up some form now. Um, Ashley Barnes has done has done decent. Um, c- certainly nothing like Fox's form last season, um, but he's certainly offered a lot more than, than, than the Duke had uh, earlier in the season. Um, so I think that's also going to be a big contributing factor is why we're we're expecting folks back um, with with such big expectations. If if we'd been um, maybe playing Ings up by himself um, with five man midfield and things were going all right, and or maybe if 
Ings and Barnes or Ings and Dukes were had a really good partnership at the top, the, the expectation wouldn't be so high. But I think it's, it's, it's the one area of the team where I think there's definitely something lacking there. Um, and it, Vox coming back would have a, a huge impact if you could get back to anything like um, the impact they had last season together. But like you say, he, he's been out for a very long time. He's, he's not just missed pre-season, he's missed pretty much half half the season. Um, he's he's going to take a while to get back to full full playing fitness. It's going to take, take a while to get back into the swing of just just play, getting back into the to the team and fitting in with his teammates. Um, obviously, he's got a few t- new teammates in there as well. I've got to used, used to playing with him. Um, also, he's, he's coming back to a new level as well. So being out for a year, well, not a year, being out for such a long time uh, and then coming back is, is difficult enough already. But when you're coming back at a higher level to what you were playing at last season, it's going to make it even more difficult. So I'm really, really wary of expecting too much from from Vox. And I've said a few times, I think anything we do get from him, um, we should really be counting as a bonus. I don't think you're right when you say like, he's going to get used to playing and, and getting and knowing his teammates because he's, he's he's been around them from day one. They're they're the ones that have come into the team. Um, it's not like he's been he's been away anywhere. And he's, I think he's shown that already starting to show that should I say in his development games where he's back three and two. Um, it'd be interesting to see how see how he does fit into that team. But it's not it's not massively different from how it was when he left it. Um, I think the key thing is trying to temper expectations, make try to stop people getting overexcited. But it's going to be very difficult because. The fans, the fans do love him. Last season, when when he he was scoring for fun, he's got got to twenty goals. Um, every fan wants to see that striker in the squad, so it's going to be difficult to temper expectations. And I, for one, want I'd like to see him back in the team sooner rather than later. I think he's nearly there. He's going to need a couple of ninety minutes, but uh, the, the new year, as I said, just in just into the new year, we'll probably start seeing him on the bench again and back in the team. It'll be a massive lift for everyone at the club. Almost that that old cliche of it's like a new signing. Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to say that. I hate that phrase so much. <laughs> you know what would be like a new signing if we actually signed someone? Um, yeah, I think I think people are just so excited to see him because the Volting partnership was so great last season, but also because of the problems we've had up front. Apart from Ings, he's obviously found some form now. Barnes has done he's done all right, as Kev said, and we're four unbeaten since Barnes started getting into the side, but Jukovic has found it so so difficult I mean on Tuesday night I think the first time he got anywhere near the ball he fell over when it looked pretty simple to control it and that sort of sums up how he's been doing at the minute so yeah everyone's looking forward to seeing Sam Volts back maybe FA Cup weekend would be a good opportunity to get him back in the side but it seems to be going well he's come back so far it's just a case of of getting the minutes on the board and making sure that his knees are as strong as possible before we can get him back into the side um, moving on to the next thing on the agenda then, it was Sean Dyche's 100th game in charge of Burnley on Tuesday night, so that's a, as good an opportunity as any, I think, to, to look back and see how his, his two, and a, two and a bit years at Turf Moor have gone. Obviously, a fantastic promotion, um, the crowning achievement of, of Dyche's career so far, and was got to remember as well, that was in his first full season at the club. Um, James, how do you assess Dyche's reign so far? Well, I guess really he's done everything that um, the board would have wanted when they they took him on. He, you know, he started out um, under how we'd we'd been defending poorly, and um, there's no doubt we're entertaining going forwards, but um, we weren't really going anywhere. We we're sort of mid-table because we'd you know maybe go leap to a two-nil lead, looking really good, then you know a couple of bad defensive moments later, and we'd three-two down. Um, so he came in and he showed up the defence. And obviously, I know a lot of people didn't really like the way we were then playing for a while. It was seen as sort of dull, negative. Um, but I think it was clear that, you know, particularly now looking back with the benefit of hindsight, that he was just looking to make a base to build on. And after he'd had that, you know, full summer to to get what he wanted, um, and I, I think as well, a lot of people see at the beginning of the next season were sort of like, well, are we going to do much? We've not spent any money. Um, I think he showed that you can you can get people in that that do the job you want without actually spending money, um, and obviously you can't really complain about the season he had last year. Um, and you know this year maybe it was a bit of a slow start, um, 
But, you know, we've got a couple of good results now. And if you look at how our squad's built up compared to even the teams around us near the bottom, um, there's a lot of teams down there that have a lot of experience. I mean, obviously, they're not uh, the players you see at sort of Chelsea, Arsenal, etc. But the players who've been there and done that in the Premier League, and that's not necessarily something we've got. So for the results we're getting, um, you know, I think he's doing a pretty good job. Oh, you mentioned the finances there as well. You've only got to look at Leicester, who spent what was it about eight million on on Leo Ajora, who's done well and scored a few goals. But eight million is about what we've spent on everyone we brought in during the summer. So it does show what we're up against financially. Um, Kevin, you've been looking back at some of the things people were saying about Dash when he was appointed and earlier in his his time at Burnley. Um, yeah, um, I have. would you would you like to explain some of your findings um yeah i i i i knew that obviously his first half season when it was at turf moor was was pretty dour um but i'd actually forgotten just how bad it was until i was reading back and actually reading some of the comments um it was it was quite shocking to read some of the stuff we what was what was said about Daesh at the time and obviously in hindsight it looks quite ridiculous but at the time it was we were real real concerns and there were so many fans that that were really really against him I think the most shocking thing for me was was Anthony Vanni who is for those who don't know him he's the most positive and enthusiastic Burnley fan in the world he's the happiest he's, fan on the planet isn't he yeah he. Well, where, where was everyone else was tipping us for relegation last season? He he said we were going to win the league. Um, this season, he said we were going to get into Europe. Um, Danny Ings is going to score forty goals. He he's the most optimistic fan in the world, and he was scathing as ever of, of, of Sean Dyche. He wanted him out. He thought it was he thought it was doing rubbish, and it's, it, it was quite shocking just to see. Um, I think you think because of how good last season was, we we I forgot just how how bad that that opening few months was, and I think um, yeah, in hindsight, it's easy to say that um, he, he was building that platform, um, but I think we're, we're lucky that we've got the board that we do have because um, I think some boards would maybe would have would have got rid of him um, earlier on in, in his Burnley career. Some some of these some boards are very. Very fickle of these days, I and mean, you can managers get sacked just for two or three bad results. So the fact that results was were not great, the football was terrible, the fans were really, really against him. I think even more so than there were Brian Laws. Um, he was lucky that he was at a club with a with a patient board and a, a board that is going to stick by managers and, and values that that time, uh, giving them the time. Um, and obviously, I think what's happened since then is has been absolutely phenomenal. And I think it's a credit to him that whatever happens this season, I don't think he'll come under any his job will come under any pressure from from fans, board, or, or anybody. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree that that people are as against him as they were Brian Laws, but there's certainly a lot of concerns. And you're right; I think a lot of clubs would have got rid of him towards the end of last season. It was a straight not last season, sorry, the year before. It was a strange old season, wasn't it? There was about half a dozen teams um, in mid-table who could have gone down. I think until the last two or three games, we were a little bit concerned and then we managed to get up to 11th in the league. And yeah, some some clubs would have got rid of him there, but we did well to stick by him. And as James says, with hindsight, we were building that foundation, although at the time it wasn't that much fun to watch. Um, Michael, I suppose with two and a bit years into Sean Dyche's uh, time at Burnley, we're all just looking forward to seeing what comes next now. Yeah, definitely. It's one of them situations where it's quite rare to see a manager last two and a half years. I'll probably be one of the longest serving in the Premier League before too long. Um, and hopefully it'll remain that way. Hopefully over the next couple of years, if he stays that long, um, it can guide us into a, into a solid like Premier League side. I'd like, us, like, like to see us stay up and then stay up again. Uh, that's what you want at the end of the day. You want to do um, what, what's, what the likes of Stoke have done who've come up and stayed up in Swansea. And um, I'd like him to be the man at the helm doing that because I think he'd, with enough money and um, enough money and backing from the board, he could have help develop the club massively in, in long term and realise his vision. Uh, I guess the danger that comes with that is when big clubs start come fishing for him, young, um, a young English manager uh, with ambition. Um, it could be that we have to fight people off for him. You never know. Like, but... I'm I'm happy with him at the helm. 
I hope long may it continue. I think you're right in that it is inevitable clubs will be interested at some point, but then on the flip side, if he's doing that well that other teams want to take him, that, that's a positive for us and we've just got to look at it that way. Burnley is probably going to be a stepping stone for, for these young, ambitious managers, but I think the longer Dyche stays at, at Turf Moor, the better for everyone, really. I think he's a really good fit. He seems to get the club. He's brought a real air of professionalism and respect. And he doesn't strike me as the sort to, to do an Owen coil and to up sticks in the middle of the season and leave everyone in, in trouble. Um, Kevin, if we can bring you back in on this, his win record is 42%, which is excellent, really, considering the start to his Burnley career and of course that he's played the last few months in the Premier League but there have been quite a lot of draws as well is that maybe an indication that he's a bit of a pragmatist at heart? Uh, I think he's, he's definitely a, a manager that, that um, puts a lot of value in that, that solid foundation um, he's if you look at his team we, we scored a lot of goals last season but we were still a very solid team um, um, we we were very we had a very strong defence. Um, his wingers, well, we don't really play wingers. We're more wide midfielders, and they 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 come inside and they're almost just take central midfielders who play a little bit more wider wider out. Um, so he's definitely a manager that that is uh, values that um, staying tight, and he's probably maybe not gonna if we if we're at a draw, he's probably gonna. Protect that, uh, protect that point rather than go out and and look for those three points. Maybe which what, um, sh- um, what's he what's he called? What Owen Coyle might have done. Uh, <laughs> You've forgotten his name. You must be the only Burnley fan on the planet who can't remember Owen Coyle's name. <laughs> I've, you know, I've tried so hard to back up my memory. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that. That's it's it's a very different style of style of management, and obviously that different styles of management work for different guys. But this is what works for him. Um, sometimes it might be frustrating that he, he doesn't go out to get that win, and it protects for, protects for points um, if he feels that's, that's that's necessary. But at the end of the day, he it, it works. So fair dues. <laughs> Just one last point on, on Dash. His transfers have been a little bit mixed, I think it's fair to say. Um, Michael, he, he did some fantastic free transfers last summer. Players like Tom Heaton and David Jones came in without spending anything, but the deals we did this summer didn't seem to fit in that well. Is, is that above Dash's head, do you think? Is it a case of just the budget we've got to work with? Is is that still a bit of a question mark for you? It's in- I'd be interested to know how it works at the club um, in terms of, is it Lee who's goes out and does the transfers? Is he the one um, eyeing up potential targets or does Dash have quite a good say in that? Um, I think you have to remember as well that before this season, we've not really had much of a scouting network. It's been quite low-key and low-cost. And this is, I think, they announced recently that we've finally got a European scouting network with the Premier League money. So it's... I think I think the key question is how much how much involvement does he have in that in terms of how much responsibility can he take, um, and I think some of it players like Sordell, for example, I think he's the one that's pushed that forward. And I've worked with a lad before; I'll take him on. Um, then one or two others, it might be a case of someone else within the club identifying them as a potential potential target. And I think when you, you only have to look back at some of the deals, um, like the Dawson deal, for example, which fell through, and. I personally think that someone higher up in the club, who's who was unwilling to spend the money, I think if it's down to the manager, he's probably going, he probably would have spent the, the correct amount of money. So, yeah, it, it, it could take some responsibility, but not all of it. I don't think. Yeah, it, it is difficult because, like you say, we're not we don't know the ins and outs of it, but he he does seem to prefer players that he's worked with before, and maybe that's a good thing. But we do, I think, also need to to look at the European market for. For bargains, it was interesting to see we were being linked. I think it came from the Italian press. We were being linked with Gianpaolo Pazzini, the the Milan striker who's got about twenty odd caps for Italy. It seemed like a really strange story to come out. I don't know if there was anything in that, but it'd be um, an interesting one if he turned up at Turf or Kev. I think maybe about half of the players Dash have brought in he's worked with before. 
Yeah, and I think that's probably um, a criticism of the club as a whole rather than Dyche. I think if you look back through the last few managers, um, that, that's been a consistent theme. Um, look at Eddie Howe brought in the like for Ings, Vokes, um, Marvin Bartley and a couple of others who he'd worked with before. Um, you even go all the way back to um, to Steve Cottrell. He signed a lot of players who he'd worked with before. And I think it's just one of those things where we, as a club, we haven't really invested in in a strong scouting network. Um, and maybe that's something what we do need to do, um, especially if we're looking to grow as a club. If, if we're a consistent championship club, then there's maybe always going to be players at that level who we've who we've managers work with before. But if we're stepping up a level now, um, are there any any Premier League players that sh- that um, Sean Dyche has worked with before? Maybe not. So that's I think we've maybe got away with a bit of a championship, but now at this level, we, we I think we do need to invest a bit more in the in the scouting network, and maybe that's something what can be a, hopefully a, a long term investment for us as well because. I don't think it's a Sean Dyche thing. Um, I think it's just a it's a Burnley Football Club thing. Yeah, I think you're right. Even, and... In fact, even you can go back back even further. Stan Turner even was Stan Turner's scouting network was so bad he just had to keep relying on signing Lenny John Rose back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember Lenny John Rose? I was about to say actually, it's it's it does happen in the top flight as well. Look at Harry Redknapp for example, wherever he turns up he seems to always sign Nico Cranchar and Jermaine Defoe you can you can tell who he's going to go after because he signs them every single time so yeah it's it's not a dash thing it's more a football thing but that, that's certainly one of the areas I think we can see maybe a bit more from Dash. but overall I'm absolutely delighted that he's our manager and hopefully he will be for a long time to come just lastly then for for tonight's podcast let's look ahead to Saturday's crunch game at QPR really really big match at the bottom of the table a six-pointer, you'd probably say, although it's maybe a little bit early in the season to be talking about it in those terms. And ahead of such a difficult run of games coming into the new year, it's going to be absolutely vital we can get something on Saturday, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, definitely. I think I heard um, QPR Leicester at the weekend referred to, get re- referred to as a relegation battle or scrap. <laughs> I think it's a bit early for that just now, but um, we're kind of coming up against a team who, We've done what we did well against last season. We took four points off them, um, but they've been playing well at home. They're almost their forms reminiscent of Burnley 2009's Premier League campaign, where they they've been poor away from home, but they're doing doing all right at home in the initial stages. Got a good result against Man City 2-2 at home, beat Leicester, and um, they also they also beat Villa at home. So they do not they're a good team at home. They like to score goals. Um, so we're going to have to be at the top of our game and essentially this is one that we get three points here and we could be set for December it's going to be a tough tough Christmas for Claret so this is one which we want to be taking three points from I think you're absolutely right I think with the four games I think we've got until the new year it's just it's so difficult to see us getting wins there so if we can get a win at Loftus Road probably means we're going to be out of the bottom three going into that run of fixtures and I think that's that's a massive psychological boost um, Kevin, obviously the QPR's main man is Charlie Austin, who we know a lot about. It's going to be key to keep him quiet, isn't it? It is, yeah. But he's going to score because that's just what happens, isn't it? Former Clavets come back and score against us. Um, I think a lot of people are saying you know, this is a really big, big game. We really need to get a win. Um, a win would be great. And I think it's especially with, with a month coming up, a win would be would be fantastic. But I think QPR are going to be very dangerous as well. Um, Matt I think um, some of their, their results have maybe not been uh, reflective of their, their performances. I think they've been unlucky in a few games. They've been certainly very dangerous going forward um, in the last couple of months. So we're, we're going to be very wary going there, um, particularly away from home. Um, at, at this point, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too dissatisfied with a win. But obviously, after two draws in the last two games... Um, Especially with uh, with the games that are coming up after QPR, a, a win would be a huge boost to us. Um, but extending the unbeaten run, especially away from home, um, wouldn't wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And if we can pick up points away from home, then beat them on the turf, um, and that'd be that'd be a good haul, I think. I assume you meant dissatisfied with a, a draw. There. I don't think anyone would be dissatisfied with a win. That's <laughs> what I said, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we knew what you meant, it's fine. Uh, Michael, would you take a draw if you were offered it now? Um, 
<laughs> it's a tough one, isn't it? Because yeah, it's, the it's game's coming up half so hard. And of course, if we get three points, it's three points that they can't win. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it is such a difficult one to call. Every point counts in this league, and one point there could be the what could be that point that keeps you up at the end of the season. Um, I definitely take three, take a point over a, a loss, but for me, for me, we've got to be looking at this as a, a we've got to take three points from it. I think you're right. It's when you come up. These are the games that define the season, isn't it? If we can win at QPR, I think that sends a really good message that we're going to compete against everyone else who's going to be down there and having already beaten Hull and Stoke. I think that really just lets everyone know that that we mean business and that we've got every chance of staying up. Um, we'll round off with predictions as ever then. Um, we've lost James, he had to nip off. So, Kevin, you first. Are we going to win at Loftus Road on Saturday? Yeah, we are. It's going to be hey. it's, it's going to be 2-1. Get in. And what about you, Michael? I think it's going to be another high scorer between the Clarets and, and the Hoops. So, 3-2 Burnley. I think you're right. I think there's going to be plenty of goals in it. I'm going to go for a score draw. I want to say two all. Um, so yeah, that's about it for for this week's podcast. Thanks as ever to our sponsors at Neville G. Thanks to guests James, Michael, and Kevin. If you've got any feedback about the podcast, please do get in touch. Our email address is podcast at nonenever.net, and we're always available for for more guests as well. So if you do fancy coming on the podcast one week give us a shout you can email us or get in touch via twitter our address is at known and ever net but that is all we've got time for this week we'll be back next weekend hopefully after a win against qpr the talksport fan network is proudly teaming up with three for mental health awareness week this year beyond the pitch beyond the results we're here to connect fans getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans we're a team With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.